Hello, and welcome back to another FAT podcast. I'm Dr. Fred Clary, and today we're going to do a little tribute to uh, one of my coaches and good friends who passed away uh, in 2013, old school power lifter, old school athlete, um, old school in every way you can imagine, all around tough guy. Yes, he's one of those tough guys out there was uh, Robert Vincent Rude, Bob Rude, R-O-D-D. Now, Bob had been a power lifter oh, from 1974 until uh, probably the year before he passed away. He was still competing in the Masters Nationals. A Masters is for over 40. He was much over 40. He was in his 70s at the time. Um, in 2012, and he died the next year. So Bob is one of those guys that was uh, burning bright until the the very end. Um, He had some unique philosophies of life. He had some unique training philosophies. And I hope I do him justice here in the next few minutes. One of the reasons for doing this is uh, as time goes on and technology and the crazy social media um, explosion, Um, Instagram, YouTube videos. So you have all these power lifters, these modern power lifters out there um, giving what they believe, their training programs, their philosophies, their records, what, you know, and generally just, you know, showing um, everything they're doing. And some of the old timers, and I mean, Let's just say before social media and the internet, and when we had to rely on Powerlifting USA magazine to uh, figure out what was happening. If there was a national meet, if there was a state meet, if there was a world meet, if you weren't physically there, you would have to wait a month or two, sometimes three, to get the results in Powerlifting USA. And I used to get Powerlifting USA uh, back in 1980 when it still had black and white covers. That's right, black and white Um, covers on it and then they got a color cover and that was a big deal in the early 80s and then they once in a while would put in color photos inside the magazine so Mike Lambert the editor of Powerful USA um, he was ahead of his time trying to get the information of this uh, fledgling sport out Um, Bob was born in 1940 um, in Pennsylvania his family moved to Baltimore I believe yes uh, right afterwards he had like a zillion brothers and sisters, um, big family. When he turned 17, he joined the Navy, hung out in the Navy for six or seven years, and then uh, moved to um, working in Dundalk. Dundalk is southeast Baltimore as a longshoreman. You know, he worked the docks of Baltimore. That's a, a little rough area, if you want to call it, blue-collar area. Maybe that's a better term, where uh, the port of Baltimore, where things would come in and go out. Um, and he was a longshoreman. He worked the docks. And then one of the icons in uh, mid-Atlantic uh, powerlifting, uh, Willie Morris, um, showed him powerlifting, I think, in 1969. He had, he had done some lifting in the Navy, of course, um, was only a buck fifty in the Navy, um, but built himself up through lifting and uh, did his first powerlifting meet in 1974. Now, the interesting thing about Bob, and we'll get into his leadership and his philosophy and his quantities there. The interesting thing about Bob 
was that he competed continuously from 1974 until 2012. That's right, 38 years. Um, maybe he thought he was losing time or whatever. I remember him from the master's ranks because he was already in his 40s when I met him. But he, conti- he, he competed continually throughout that time. He would always do a big meet and a national meet. Um, he got to the point where um, he would only do really big meets, um, a, uh, like Russia versus USA meet or the nationals. He'd sometimes do a state meet, but sometimes he would just go from state to nationals, state to regionals to national meets, and keep them pretty big. He'd go and help out every meet that was within driving distance. Um, he was always there, always helping out, always wrapping knees, helping people in and out of their suits, running their numbers up to the table, yelling and smack him in the face, and he hurt when he smacked you in the face, um, keeping track of where you were going. The main thing I remember about Bob is that old school mentality that it was a, a brother and sisterhood powerlifting. When you got to a meet, everybody helped each other. Even if it was your competition, you helped them into a suit. I, and the idea of a powerlifting team, you would always train with your team. You always train with a group of lifters, and then that team would help the other teams who was ever there. Whenever you went to a powerlifting meet, you would always find one or two lifters there that were there by themselves. The coach couldn't make it. The coach got sick. They, they're new to powerlifting, didn't realize. might help to have one or two handlers, one or two coaches on hand. And Bob would always step up and either grab us by the ear. Yeah, he, you know, it's old school. This is old school. He'd grab you by the ear, smack you on the back of the head and say, go help that person. Um, Or he'd step in and he would help that person, even if that person was in your weight class. And there's many times I was pissed at Bob because he'd be helping me out and also (laughs) helping my competition out too. And sometimes in the early years, when I was like 14, 15, 16, I didn't get all the first places took me to I was like 16 to start beating the all the teens juniors and the men um, but by then I you know I pretty much got to be untouchable by the time I was 17 18 thanks to Bob but I mean he would help anyone and that was a philosophy I don't I don't see as much anymore it's maybe it's coming back I see it in the multiply lifting the equip lifting but helping each other out a whole team descending on a meet and helping the other teams out um, it was it was interesting. He would even jump in and spot and load um, if someone needed a break, and I'd be like, "Wow, he's supposed to be coaching us, and he's over there loading for squats and he, you know giving someone a bathroom break or you know they need a drink of water." Because back in those days, you didn't have big loaders and lifters and spotters. Sometimes they just pull people out of the audience. Usually, high school football team, and you know you you'd be in trouble if it was the high school basketball or soccer team loading you. You had to get the weight. Because uh, they couldn't spot you. <laughs> you, especially in the days with flimsy racks and walking out. And, you know, we had to use a bar that was bending all the time and wobbly. It was, it was real interesting seeing seven, 800 pounds on, you know, an old Olympic bar. This is before the days of, you know, powerlifting bars, which were a little stiffer and safer. So Bob competed oh, 38 years before he got sick with Parkinson's and passed on. Um, they had, I think his medicines got messed up in the hospital and he passed away. It was horrible. But the, some of the things I learned from Bob were real important. 
Um, one, you know, respect the people that have actually come before you. Sometimes you don't see that in Instagram. You see people that win one or two bodybuilding shows or win one or two meets, and now they're doing online coaching and they're experts. Bob was always humble, smiling all the time in meets, very humble. Um, he'd be smiling even working with his competition. He'd be like, oh, you know, it looks like you're going to have a better day than me. You know, that, that lift didn't go good for me. Oh, you know, you can do it. And he'd be cheering on his competition. And then he'd end up getting first place. It was always amazing how Bob would just, you know, pull it out with a de the last-minute deadlift. Um, his lifts were like 620, 630 in the squat, like 420 in the bench, and about the same in the deadlift, always pulling around six at 220, over 40, over 50 years of age. He kept it in that range. He competed in all federations, APF, ADFPA, which is now the U.S. Uh, a, uh, Apple, IPF, if you will. He competed in IPF. He competed in USPF. That was his favorite. He loved the USPF. Um, AAU. He competed in whatever was around. He didn't like the fragmentation of powerlifting into many organizations. He thought that was ridiculous. We should just have one meet and everyone show up. And the person who lifts the most weight in the weight class wins. That was always his attitude. And that's why he won national championships in all the major federations from 1974 into 2012. And if you went to uh, Bob's house in Severna Park, Maryland, I remember visiting there many, many times. He had a big gym in his basement though we trained at the Dundalk Y, so about a half hour away is where his house was in Severna Park. And we'd go down there once in a while if the gym was closed, you know, if it was Christmas Eve and we needed to get a squat session in. And, uh, you know, he'd open up his house to us. And he'd have his trophies all stacked up in a corner. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I've never seen many trophies. And he always hit me in the back of the head. Well, I've been competing a long time. And probably at the time I met him, it had been almost 10 years he was competing. Stacks of trophies, stacks of power from USA magazines next to his recliner next to the TV. And he was a student of the sport. So what I learned about Bob from Bob is to be humble at a meet, be humble with everyone, be a student of the sport, study the technique, study your competition, um, know who's doing what lifting, um, and always, always help out the little guy. He would always cheer on everyone, no matter how small the personal record in the gym. If we have a newbie learning how to squat and the first time they got 135, putting the, the big plate on the side, he'd cheer them on and smack them upside the head or smack them in the back. He'd be the first one to do that as he'd cheer on someone trying to seven or 800 pound squat in our rickety racks that we had. I look back at the, the equipment we had, I'm like, oh my God, how did we survive without a major orthopedic injury, all of us? The, uh, the Dundalk uh, Barbell Club, that team um, went to many Maryland State Championships and local deadlift only, bench only, whatever we get to, and we had many champions. We walked away with many team awards back in those days. And uh, it was some fun meets where we would pack into a van, um, one of the teammates, a TV repair van, and, and people listening to me now, if they're under 25, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, Charles, one of our teammates, was a TV repairman, and that's where they went house to house to fix your tube TV. 
And uh, we would take all his equipment out, take the seats out so we could all fit, and we'd jump in the back of his place and go to all these meets together in a van, in one team. You'd have eight, nine guys. And some of us were some of us were over 300 pounds. I never got that big when I was with them. I was like 220, 242, um, pushing 250. But I, I never got that you know big. But we had some large men in that van. And we'd go as a team, and we'd help as a team, and we would always help the uh, meet directors afterwards clean up afterwards. And, of course, I was a punk kid, high schooler, you know, early in college, freshman. And sometimes I asked, oh, why do we got to do this? I got to go here. And, you know, he'd throw a broom in my hand, and we'd be putting chairs away. And he goes, if it wasn't for the meet director, we would have no place to lift. So Bob was well-known in the sport. People knew him. At the time, he'd walk into a meet. Meet directors would come up. He was like a celebrity. And lifters would come over. He always had a smile and a story about every lifter there. He remembered everyone's stories, their personal records. He could say, yeah, I remember the time you benched 500 back in Dallas, Texas in 1985 at the Nationals. You remember that? I think it was your second or third attempt. No, it was your second attempt. He had a iron trap memory for lifting. He loved the sport, and he had a love to get people into the sport. There's a skinny little kid that uh, walked into the Dundalk Y, one day and uh you know he had been doing kempo and some basketball but he ventured down next to the boiler room and there's an empty room and he heard all this clanking and this kid walked in and saw these big monsters all lifting smelly old beat up rusty equipment and i mean rusty and he asked if he could start lifting so bob rude went over to this kid and said sure and showed him the big three and said, just keep coming back, kid. Just keep coming back. And eventually, that kid won national championships, set world records as a teenager. And every time he would try to skip school to go to the gym, Bob Rude would hit upside the head and say, you need school, son. You don't need these weights. The weights will always be there for you. And he hit him upside the head. So that kid eventually went on to college and got an advanced degree. That kid was me. And some of the things I learned from Bob was be humble, always help out, study the sport as much as you can, and help the new ones get into the sport. And always thank the meet directors. Help out if you can, clean up after yourself as you can, and if you can judge, if you can spot, if you can load, if you can do anything to help the meet director out, do it because the sport wouldn't exist without them. And we wouldn't ha- be able to showcase our talents. So how did Bob train? How did he train a group of anywhere up to 30 lifters over time? We average about 10, 15 on the team, but over 30 lifters over the, from 1980 to 1987, 88, that I trained with, uh, with Bob and the team at Dundalk Barbell Club. Well, it was really simple. You weren't allowed to miss any squat day, bench day, um, deadlift day. You were expected to be there to spot and load and to help. Even if you had a broken arm, you had to go there and help out. Um, You were expected to do all your sets. Um, We did the classic Western periodization, set of 10, set of 8, set of 6, set of 4, set of 3, set of 2, set of 1. 
um, you know, real basic stuff, nothing fancy. He worked in some Russian training. I would start doing Russian training, and he always thought that that was crazy that I did Ted singles, but he was supportive because it got me stronger. He would use some of that once in a while. But we just did a lot of heavy lifting. Um, everything was heavy. There was no such things as light tricep pushdowns. He would go as heavy as you could for threes and fours and five reps. Even calf raises were done heavy. His philosophy was that the person who lifts the most in the gym lifts the most in the meet. The person who lifts the most in the gym lifts the most in the meet. And he would say that all the time. So he was always going heavy. Um, and working on form, with form we knew in the 70s and 80s, um, he would always try to improve that the best we could. But uh, there was one time where my deadlift was really lagging behind. And he said, well, then deadlift every day till it increases. And I actually deadlifted three days a week for a couple months until my deadlift finally started moving. He wasn't afraid of trying things that outside the box. I remember one young lifter came in and uh, the poor guy had a terrible bench press. And we did bench squats and deadlifts, so sometimes a variation every day. He made that kid bench every day he came in, some form. Close grip bench, wide grip bench, regular competition bench, high rep, low rep, until that kid's bench moved. That was his philosophy. Get in the gym, go heavy, don't complain about anything, and help everyone out. And if you had any weaknesses, work it until it wasn't a weakness anymore. And I'm sure Bob's looking down now and sees me as a master's lifter in my 50s, starting back again after taking a layoff. Bob never took a layoff. He'd, he'd hit me upside the head. He'd grab my ear, and he would hit me upside the head for taking a break. Um, for several years as I went through school and did the family thing. But he continued to lift until his dying days. And he was always happiest on the platform or helping out another kid get into powerlifting. And that's a, that's, a, that's a good memory to have. And that's a good legacy to have. And I just hope I and everyone else can keep that up. That coaching other people, and this is Bob's word, coaching other people, means that you never die. That's what he would always say. Coaching other people means that you never die. And this is Fred Clary with another Fact Podcast.